Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Good evening. Last year, we spoke with the Germanic evidence-based face of Bayesian bodybuilding, Menno Henselmans. And at the time, we were talking about the specifics of finding your niche, building a personal brand, how to create content, how to establish yourself as an online coach, especially if you're not considered a massive scientific authority, as well as the mistakes that he made when setting up and building Bayesian bodybuilding. This year, we discuss more of the personal stuff on how he manages his time and his mindset, how he sets his goals for his business, as well as some insights on personal productivity when moving from a full-time job over to online coaching, why he thinks that meditation in the morning is a waste of time, and why Wim Hof breathing is pseudo-productivity. So here we are, tune in for Return of the Henselmans. 2021 seems to be the, the year of the online coach for obvious reasons, right? A lot of people are... If the year have, of the bear and the pig and... <laughs> the yeah, exactly. The year <laughs> of the online coach. A lot of people have this view that online coach equals digital nomad lifestyle. And mm-hmm. like, so my, my version of being an online coach is I like, I work in my living room, get to wear comfy trousers instead of a suit and tie. Whereas you fully at least from what I what we can tell you fully live that flexibility from from someone who's maybe used to up until recently they work in a gym and that's how they work in the fitness industry give us just give us a flavor of what is the life of Menno look like it seems every time we talk to you you're in a different place you're always going somewhere yeah. new so just yeah what what is it like or what is it an average week or month in your life look like this year is very different but mm. normally um, I think my life is quite similar to yours, except I am generally in a more exotic location. <laughs> and when I go out to do something fun, I want to be close to uh, other things where, you know, instead of going for a Starbucks, you can go to a tropical waterfall or something. So I'm actually not doing too much of the digital nomading, like packing through Asia every day. I'm in a different country, that kind of stuff. But... It's more like I, I make it so that a location where my breaks are more exotic, basically. That's because my fiance also works online. And that's a very big factor, I think, for most people. It's an interesting point you mentioned just before, which was that previously you were traveling around, maybe setting up base somewhere and going to different places. And now, because of the restrictions, you've gone from traveling to being stuck in a certain country or, or being moved mm-hmm. from country to country because of the restrictions. And this is a, a mindset shift. Like I've heard someone describe the only difference between camping and being homeless is the the choice, like the, the fact that you get to choose that. And so if someone is working in a gym, they might be someone who, like, if they were given the chance, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd love to spend seven hours in the gym every day. But as soon as it's like, oh, I have to be here, it changes the the whole dynamic. How have you found the shift from what you were previously doing to basically having full agency over your time and your location? Objectively, I'm in still in a really luxurious position in that I still have choices and generally haven't been locked down too long. I've been locked down three times. But you touch on the key point, which is choice. And I think that's what currently the much of the debate revolves around public health, and that's generally equated with mortality rate rather than the average public well-being, which is more what uh, welfare economics typically proposes, that you have the average happiness level of the expect or averaged over someone's life over the entire population. That's the, the end goal, maximizing that. And I think for a lot of people, the current circumstance, and I can see that with myself as well, is that 
the limitation of that choice and the uncertainty of the future basically put your well-being level more at what you could expect in China or Soviet Union or someplace like that, where you don't know if, or I literally don't know if next week I have to move to a different country. And I, I do know that this, at this particular moment, and for at least the next month, I literally cannot go to my home country. So uh, it's possible I get into a situation where I literally don't have a place to go. Now, I do think the embassy, Dutch embassy, would probably not let me just be in like a legal limbo where <laughs> I'm not sure what would happen, uh, honestly, these days. But it's that uncertainty that really makes it hard to, to stay productive, I think. Because in research, you can clearly see that productivity, uh, especially creativity, is strongly linked to well-being. And if you're not in a, typically if you're not in a stable environment where you have a, a safe future, basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but that's iffy in psychological research. Basically, if you're not certain of your future and you have these bigger things looming over you, it's very hard to be creative. So especially work that demands more than uh, a reactive mindset, uh, like writing a book, is very difficult under these circumstances. And I think that for most people is really the, the, uh, the trigger, the uncertainty and the lack of choice. That's a huge one. I, so I've, I've just done like an annual review. And one of the big things that came out of that is very much what you said, that being a doctor has actually been the maximum security job that you could possibly have in the last couple of years. I can't think of a global situation where you'd be unemployed as a doctor, but it comes with its own costs, which is it limits the upside. It, it takes up a massive amount of time and mental bandwidth. And so it's compared to the bar, the other side of the barbell of being an entrepreneur where there's a huge potential for upside, but you don't know if you're going to eat the next month. And having that 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 choice of lifestyle really has to match with your disposition and the way that you deal with risk and what you want out of your life. And I think from what I've seen of you, Mena, you've been very good at designing your lifestyle and saying, these are the things that I want, and this is what I want to contribute to the world. And mm -hmm. you've planned it on a macro and a micro scale. Maybe that's just how it looks. Maybe it's been a lot more chaotic. For me it's very me. intentional. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you nowadays, how do you plan your weeks or your days so that you have the, the, the multiple projects that you're working on or looking at your goals moving forward? Very similar compared to uh, before in that I still have a gym open here. They just have really weird hours and you have to wear a mask and I clean everything twice. You spend more time cleaning than actually working out. I'm happy that there is a gym open. And uh, yeah, typically the mornings are reserved for creative work. There's actually also research on this, that this, this general layout uh, typically optimizes productivity. Uh, the, you leave the mornings for creative work and the most intellectually demanding work. And you need break activities across the day. And then later in the day, you can have more reactive work and also more work that relies on uh, auditory processing. Because humans are, the, the cortex, the auditory cortex, is not as fatigable as the more like math and like the neocortex. So typically, things like an interview or calls, actually you can do those even when you're fatigued, because in part because you're fatigued, especially social interactions. It doesn't matter if you're tired, if you, if you get dragged into a conversation, at least assuming it's something you're passionate about or you have to do something. It doesn't matter if you're tired, you just have to. So in general, those things that sort of force you to be productive, those are good to plan later in the day. And then the mornings, uh, free those up for more creative, open-ended work. And sometimes maybe even not planning anything at all. Uh, rather just see what you uh, can be creative and productive on. But it depends on how, how intrinsically motivated you are. The more intrinsically motivated you are in general, the less scheduling you want. And the more extrinsically motivated you are for things, the more scheduling you probably need. I've never thought about the... How, even just thinking of an average day, like if you have a morning of calls, mm -hmm. it pretty much ruins the rest of the day. Yeah. Or the chances of switching from calls to like, right now I'm going to write this article. Uh, exactly. It's just so low. So you, have, so you have the mornings that are totally fenced off. And like, I suppose what does creative work look like for you? Is that, I imagine it's writing, producing pieces yeah. of long form content. Yeah. So I'm working on a, an app actually, a programming app sort of digital cybernetic coaching it's called. That's definitely creative work, working on the algorithms and stuff. I finished my book, and now I actually have a few people that are reading it. It's about these kind of things, actually, the auditory fatigue and those kind of scheduling your day. That's actually, those are all chapters in my book. Oh, that is exciting. When's that coming out? 
I still have quite some people that want to review it and all. Probably I want to go for it again, fully self. And then I'll need some time to really focus on it, to yeah, to just get it published and everything, and set up the whole strategy for it, marketing, those kind of things. Things go well this year, but I don't want to put an ETA on it. Because it's still in a stage where I need to be creative for some phases to potentially alter some things and everything. As soon as there's a deadline on it, that like the same sort of principle applies. Uh, that sort of goes out the window and you're more set into a certain plan, and I think... I don't really have a deadline or anything. I just want to make it exactly the way I like it. So it sounds like you're very much managing your energy and your creativity rather than your time. Is that fair to say? Yes, people think about time a lot, but time is almost never the actual issue. There's actually, there's also research on this. And I think from a lot of very successful entrepreneurs, you can say that uh, if you work productively for four hours a day, you're a very productive human being. Like consistently four hours every single day, you were very productive. In fact, there was a, a survey. Um, I'm not sure if this was actual self-report or sort of monitored uh, in the UK, actually, where they looked at certain office workers and they measured the amount of actual productive time, like the time that you're actually, as an office worker, typing up a report or sending an email or something, rather than me- meetings are, are iffy. I think they, they weren't counted in this. Meetings often could be productive, but really are not. And... Just walking around or thinking about what to do, those things are not actual productivity. You're not creating anything. And it was, on average, 23 minutes an hour a day. <laughs> Usually you find things like one or two hours in most research. And then the most highly productive individuals, they average more like four to six. But eight, the norm, the minimum norm in today's society, eight hours of productive work or work <laughs> Is, is completely uh, inhumane, I would say. It's actually completely impossible, unless you're a factory worker, to just put a human being in a position where you have to do any kind of creative or intellectually demanding work that's not entirely reactive and say, look, eight hours, you're going to be productive, and then you're going to go home, you're going to forget all about it probably, the next morning you're going to repeat that all the time. That's your life now. That's the society we live in, but it's really not designed for uh, especially creative and entrepreneurial work. I think, so interestingly, I think just even just talking about personal training. So if you, I suppose the working with clients in person is closer mm-hmm. to the, the factory analogy, right? Like it is, Yes. it is something moving a lot. Like client comes in, session complete, session structure, client leaves, next client comes in. And you probably, it's easier, I suppose, to go home, forget about that for a short period of time and then repeat. Whereas suddenly now mm-hmm. when all of that's happening, on this like screen in front of you and stressful things happen and you can't really succinctly explain why it bothers you, but it does. And you try and shut the laptop to create some constraint between life and work and it doesn't really work. So how do you manage that? How do you get to the end of the day and say, you know what, I know there's still a hundred things that I could do, mm-hmm. but I'm stopping now. What's the way you deal with that? At the end of the day, probably you should already have an idea of what you should do then. And maybe what you can do is come up with what you should do the next morning when you can actually probably productively do it. So as a PT that also does in-person personal training, a good schedule would be something like the mornings you have creative work. If, if you have some of that, maybe it's your marketing strategy, those kind of things. Like how, how am I going to get new clients acquisition? And then the later part of the day, which depending on how busy you are, it could be quite a large part of the day, you do your actual clients because that's it's both auditory processing and it's reactive. So you can actually do quite a lot of that. Like in-person PT is something you can actually do for eight hours. Exhausting. But you can actually do that productively for eight hours. And then probably after that, you shouldn't count on doing much more. Uh, that's probably not going to be realistic. You'll need a significant break activity in between, at a minimum. And then you could do maybe something administrative, but definitely not something creative or even intellectual, probably. This is where shifting <clears throat> from the mindset of being in a normal job and we've worked with many people who have maybe worked in an office job like exactly as you described eight or nine hour days effectively doing 23 minutes of productive work and the rest of the time is coffee and faxing stuff and (laughs) emails and shifting over to saying oh right now i'm self-employed and i'm going to just take the same model that i've been using here and apply it into so i'm going to wake up and i'm going to open my laptop at nine and finish at five that actually applying that probably sets you up for failure because mm-hmm. of Parkinson's law and the time just fill, filling up yes. the space and the lack of intensity. And I think Cal Newport's equation of work done equals time multiplied by intensity is so true. 
that if you can say, I only have four hours and I'm going to just absolutely bash this out, probably have a better life overall because then but you could literally start by eight, finish by 12, and then you've got the rest of the day completely free. That's the truest form of wealth that I think you could achieve. Definitely, but it's very hard to force that for yourself. So some of the times I'm actually consistently most productive is when I'm working at airports because I typically only answer client emails. That's the only thing I do. Uh, But yeah, I have a very defined... I cannot do anything else. There are no, there are distractions, but nothing actually I would want to do. And uh, I just have, for example, 30 minutes for one hour. And I also know that I'm not going to have any time at all, especially for an international flight, to answer these people later. So if I don't answer them now, uh, it, it detracts from the quality of my service. And I typically want to respond to everyone within 20 hours. It's not a hard rule, but uh, it's 99 of the time per time. 99% of the time I do live by it. So then you have... Uh, you can actually use stress to give you a high motivation. I think in general, for activities, you have to strike a balance. It probably depends on how intrinsically versus extrinsically motivated you are to see how much deadlines you want to give yourself. Overall, research does find that giving yourself deadlines makes people more productive, even when they are self-imposed. That's a very important thing to, to get your head around. Objectively, nothing changes, right? You have a certain activity that needs to be done. There is an actual time it needs to be done, but just... Saying for yourself, I want it done at this moment in time, completely arbitrary, actually makes it more likely that you're going to do it by that time. But it's, but you're oh. balancing that with the not giving yourself a deadline for the book, for example, to maintain the space for creativity and so on. So exactly. interestingly, the, the airport thing, I heard of a guy who he's obviously had enough money to do this, but he had to write a manuscript and he, was, so he booked himself a flight, a return flight to Tokyo just so that he could sit on his laptop and it was like the same day flight just because he was like, I get the most work done when I'm on a plane and no one can bother me. And it cost him four grand, but he said it was the best four grand that he's ever spent. That's an extreme example for sure. But a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs I know do like co-working spaces for this reason, because it takes you to a new environment, fewer distractions. If you don't have anything other to do, you, you go there, basically like going to the office and you get work done. But I think those things are best done for more extrinsically motivated and reactive work because I don't see myself writing a book in an aircraft. Yeah, but I suppose a co-working space, like there's people around you. If you're sat there on Pornhub, like you can, there's a social pressure to be like, actually, I shouldn't be doing this. um, There was was another guy who who paid, paid someone to slap him every time he went off task. Have you heard about this? He went on Craigslist and he said, I'm I'm looking, this is not a fetish. I'm just looking for someone. I'm going to pay you nine pounds an hour and just to sit next to me when I'm working. And every time I go off task, slap me. And he said I, he didn't go off task once, didn't get slapped. Yeah, so that, that can also work. Uh, that's uh, the hardcore equivalent of apps that you have these days to prevent you going on Instagram and stuff. We, should, we use it like it's something we, we do ourselves and teach our clients to do. If you have a group of clients and you're trying to make a new program or new bits of content, you just tell them, I've just done it today, Every Friday, a new module or a new piece of content will be released. And then you have a group of people who've paid you who will be upset if it if you don't fulfill on the the thing you promise. And that, I think more than any, for me personally, like letting down clients is like one of, I think one of the worst things you, yes. that you, you can do as an online fitness business owner. So yeah, I think having a, a deadline like that takes it out of just you telling yourself it's a deadline and now there's other people checking on you. But yeah, I think that as a theme in general, lack of boundaries is also like for more people than ever are working from home, remote working. And if your work is on a laptop, it's easy to just work an hour later Mm -hmm. or work two hours later because there's no commute. There's no office that closes. How do you fit? So I suppose stuff we hear all the time is you wake up, you've got all these things to do. I know that I should be productive and I know I should probably take time away to train, but the feeling of, but I need to make more money. I need to get clients in taking two hours to go and do my training session is a really feels like the wrong thing to do. So how, how do you fit training into all of that? Yeah, I think the, um, I actually had this uh, in, at college and every time I had an exam week, I would stop going to the gym because I procrastinated and I usually prepare for my exam the night before so I didn't sleep much during exam week. But then in my third year for my bachelor, 
I got my shit in order. And that's also in part because sometime before that, I told myself, I'm going to the gym. Like, it, it's not, the decision tree was basically, does it rain? Yes, no, I go to the gym. Uh, do you feel like it? Yes, no, you go to the gym. That, that was a hard rule. Like, I go. And that was because, as, as you touched on Parkinson's law, it typically states that it, it's not the actual time. And that's also, you know, the general thing is product, productive time. Uh, actual time is almost ne- nothing ever the issue. I was in a fraternity. I'm still technically in a fraternity. Very different than what you would think of a fraternity, actually. But during the, the hazing week, I experienced what it was to actually not have time. There were some exams where they give you time to prepare for the exams because it's, it was a cool fraternity, the, the very uncool, typical fraternity. But they gave you some exam time, not much. But they had like two-hour windows where they put you in a library and say, we know you have an exam and we, we're not going to detract from your grade. So here it is prepare for your exam. And even during nighttime and everything, that was literally the time you would have. So that, that's a good way to motivate yourself. And then I really learned a lot from it because the idea of not having time got a completely new perspective. You know, things like you literally would not have time to have a meal. It's not like I would sometimes I would down olive oil and nuts while running somewhere else. That, that level. It's not like I didn't prepare a meal to bring or whatever. No, it's literally not having the time. But I realized that typically what would happen during an exam week is I would spend most of the day like procrastinating and even go clean your apartment and that kind of stuff. Uh, And then the actual time I'm really productively studying probably started around 8 p.m. until the next morning. I typically didn't sleep much. If I got it done before, I would sleep. Otherwise, I would not. If the exam was in the morning, and then I said, well, if I typically don't start until 8 anyway, I might as well go work out before that. And basically, I, I found very quickly that when I had that rule for myself, it changed absolutely nothing in how my exams went or the amount of time I could put in it. Because you can do that workout and you still have the actual time. There are a few cases where people really don't have time, especially if you, you have a long commute and a long work day, uh, shift work, those kind of things where you literally get into the scenario where it's sleep or working out like you still have the time but you have to choose between sleep and working out but for most scenarios really it's it's just a matter of forcing yourself to do this and giving yourself the right deadlines and incentives and using stress productively because i think stress is generally something that is given a bad connotation like it's, it's just cortisol is a bad hormone but it's actually something that is a really helpful in many situations as long as it's not chronically used like a drug actually so then in terms of, there's a lot of research that you're quoting, obviously you're a very evidence-based coach as well. How much of your time now is dedicated to acquiring new information and how much is spent building your business? Depends a lot on the period. Currently, there is basically zero, zero building. Like all my time just goes into the projects I have, finishing those, emailing my clients, it depends on what you consider like growth. So uh, a general frame I have for myself is that you can have consumption and investment days in your life. And a day is an investment day if it brings you closer to your long-term goals. I think most of your days should be investment goals or investment days. For example, if you're an online coach and you answer all your clients, that's not sufficient to make it an investment day. That's just your, your regular work. It doesn't bring you any closer to having more clients. For example, you get social proof and those kind of things, but not very directly. So if you, for example, optimize your website and then answer your clients, it becomes an investment day. And I think it's good to, to get into the framework that most of your days should be investment days, but occasionally you can have a consumption day, which does not bring you closer to your goals, maybe put you even slightly further away from your goals, but then you are sure that is something you really indulged in. And you can also apply this concept to diet, where if you are going to have a cheat day or whatever, you better really enjoy it and afterwards look back on it and say that was really worth it. So you're defining a consumption day not as like an information consumption day, but as a like hedonistic, like off yes. day, basically. Okay. And so I suppose, yeah, you've raised an important distinction there as well, with, which is when you're working in your business, there's firefighting days and then there's kind of growth days. So I guess within that then, when, you're, when you are working, you it sounds like you split it within the day rather than overall so you said you have the creative growth stuff in the morning and then you have the reactive stuff later on and i guess you have to do that if you've got a 24-hour response time with your clients you can't really 
split things at much further apart. Yeah, I actually I have not taken a full day off in over ten day ten years. I'm pretty sure. Wow. Uh, my ideal, for example, a holiday day uh, or a consumption day is if I uh, go to maybe I go back in the days when this was still possible. Maybe I'd go to Venice for a weekend. There are these websites where you can get trips for super cheap if you if they put you at random moments. Amazon. That's something you should definitely look at if you're a digital nomad, because uh, you can get trips and everything for super cheap as long as you're flexible in when you can go. In any case, a weekend of Venice, for example, what I would do is I go to Venice. That really only takes you know a couple hours with the flight and everything, so you can still do your work on both of the travel days. Those mornings, I get up, I answer my clients. That's fixed. I always answer my clients. Uh, and that may take me four hours or so. So if I wake up at eight, I can have that done by 12. And that leaves me the whole next day to well, quickly work out and then spend time in Venice. That would be a consumption day for me, for example. What, what about consuming information in terms of digesting the data or the, like the doing your research reviews or learning new stuff, up, kind of upskilling? Because I guess that mm-hmm. comes under investment, but there's no immediate return on that. I, w- I would put that on the investment for sure. That's a di- very different. Consuming information is very different from uh, consuming utility, I guess, as uh, economists would call it. So in terms of, I would put that on the researching, studying. That's definitely something I would put like in my mornings. And there are actually days when I look at, I have set days where all my agenda is, is to look at new studies or to uh, write up a blog post, for example, on a new study review. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating, this manner. So I suppose a lot of people would hear, I've taken no days off in 10 years and think that's, you're a workaholic and that's extreme and you need days off mm-hmm. and all that sort of, but, but I think ironically the, the average person who takes weekends is, is probably also still like stressed and tired and always consumed with work. But you're, it seems like you're just stepping back and thinking does, you know, I can still do this. I can still do three hours of work and then still enjoy the rest of my time. And actually everything's better. So you, you don't run into burnout or, feeling fatigued with work, it sounds like you load balance things sufficiently throughout the week. Yes, and I think that the balance is key, and it's much more acute than I think a lot of people recognize, because feelings are very acute. So the whole ideal burnout and everything is something that's managed very much on momentary levels. Now, you cannot prevent a burnout if you're chronically overworked, sleep deprived and everything by taking uh, an extra holiday every year. That, that really doesn't cut it, because if you're in that that being burned out situation at work and you need three months before your next holiday. It's not like every day of those three months you're like, yeah, in three months I'm going to Egypt. That that doesn't help you at that moment in time. So actually I think you also enjoy if I in that example of me going to Venice, I enjoy the tourist stuff much more when I know I've answered all my clients, there is nothing I need to do anymore. I'm done. And that's also that is a very big benefit of not being self employed is that you can go home, at least for most jobs. doesn't make you the best employee, but for most jobs, many people can go home and completely forget about everything. Often they don't, and that often leads to burnout. If you wake up, the first thing is your email from your work, for example. That's something you should not, unless it's really urgent or a doctor or something. But I think for most people, they divide their work hard, play hard, way too much across days or across overtime. And in, in large part, that's because of the limitations of modern society and working in offices and commutes and everything. But as a PT or uh, an online PT, you're not restrained by those things. And you can you can plan your day however you like. You can sleep at, at daylight and work at night. You can do whatever you want. I think for most people you need, for online PTs or people, entrepreneurs, you want every day to have things that you really enjoy and things that probably you don't enjoy. I think every day has, because sleep acts like a, almost a full body reset button in many ways. Like not having utilized that, that productivity, like that morning productivity, for example, put you back one day. You're not going to catch up on that. Like no way. You're just, you have a limited amount of actually productive time per day, especially for like more creative and intellectual work. If you don't use that day, you're not getting it back. Even if next week you plan to have more done, you have brainstorm sessions or whatever. It simply doesn't work that way. And likewise, if you one day, and I have some of those days, you really feel at the end of the day burned out. Like, there was too much. You should use that as a reflection moment. Like, okay, this was my threshold. I should not have those kind of days frequently. Ideally, you're always pushing that threshold, but never really 
crossing over into that level where you feel like this was too much. And you're, if you're next day, you do absolutely nothing, which is most people's idea of holiday, then you're not making that day feel any better. Because when you're experiencing that, that being overuse, you're, you don't have any benefits from what's going to happen in the future. So you, I think you really have to balance things much more. Like the yin and yang occur more on a single day than a week or a month. I think the, the standard model of taking a day off assumes that working on a business is not an enjoyable thing or something that you would choose to do. This is something that Yusuf and I talk about a lot, that like we will, for like a way on holiday with our girlfriends, we'll wake up early to do a few hours of work because mm. we would like to do that. But people hear that and go, oh, that's too extreme. But it's so interesting just hearing you talk about it in a, if you actually think about it, then taking a week of holiday followed by two months of pushing yourself to the limit and repeating that you're never actually improving anything you're just maintaining just keeping ahead of the water the whole time yeah, do you do also for people that, that have a job like you you should be working on an exit plan if you're if you want to become an online pt for example you need to also have investment days for your online pt business like you need to be working towards that because just willing it it's not going to make it happen and that's how people end up with a midlife crisis when the moment they realize, like, I should have done this over the last 30 years, but I haven't, and now I'm stuck. And, you know, that's not how you want to live your life. Would you say that, just as general opinion, do you think that everybody should be working towards working for themselves? Based on that, it's no. very hard to live the life you just described if Monday, 9am, you need to be in an office working for somebody else. Yeah, no, definitely not. And you have to... You need to have the luxury of being passionate about what you do something because things change completely between intrinsically and extrinsically motivated things. If you do something that you would do anyway, like you're intrinsically motivated for it, you're just driven to do it from, from inside, then these things like creativity and everything, they apply. But for more extrinsically motivated work, like you do the work because you get a salary and you would otherwise, there's no way you would otherwise do these things. That's purely intrinsically motivated work. Uh, a lot of different rules apply. Like you need to be motivated more by deadlines. You probably have more to gain from being in other places, having set structures, etc. So, also for individuals, there are some people. I say I've lived in fifty-one countries. In many times, I'm in a different country every month. They look at me like, "Oh my god, that's terrible." <laughs> different individuals. A lot of people are like, "Oh, that's cool." And then there's people in the middle. They're like, "Oh, that sounds really great, but I could never do it." So, if if you're the the person that if if I say that and you're like, oh my God, that's absolutely terrible, then you're probably not the individual that, that would benefit from this in any way. Just like with being self-employed, some people, they don't have any passion. or like It's generally difficult to, to find your passion for a lot of people, or even to have hobbies these days. I think that's also something that's being displaced by Netflix and the like. So a lot of people simply are not even in this mind space. But I think anyone that is listening to this interview will be. Yeah, you're right. It sounds like it's to do with risk appetite and the same way you would advise someone on their investments you might say okay small biotech stocks great if you love the if you have a long time horizon you're okay with blowing out your account you're ready for a big upside but you might have someone who is later on in their life they need to provide for their kids and they can't afford a big a big blowout then they might value the security and the the predictability at the expense of higher upside or if they lack a, a particular passion for something or they, they just want to be able to turn up switch off their brain to do their work for eight hours and then come home and spend time with their kids so it's got to be different strokes for different folks but certainly the people that reach out to us and people that listen to this podcast have had some taste of that life either in a gym or in a separate job and thought you know what I'm not up for this. I have a passion for something else. I want to be able to to contribute something that's my own my own business and to be able to to create my own brand from this. And uh, for anyone listening as well, if if you want to hear Menno's thoughts on personal branding and creating content and and doing that side of things, then we had a chat with him last year on the podcast as well, which was extremely popular. Yeah, that's a funny, profound story to this. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I used to collect Warhammer. It's like miniatures, but 
but cool. <laughs> and uh, they have these games workshops where you can buy old miniatures and they, they play the games there and uh, they paint them and stuff. And I remember I used to think about when I was thinking about my career and everything as a kid, what do I want to do later? And I had this moment where I thought about what if you work in a games workshop? Like some of these guys are like 40, some 50 or so. And there was this one side of me that thought like, then you're a total bum, like if you're 50 and you're still painting miniatures games workshop. But there also was this other side of me that thought like, so these guys, they literally, they go to work. They have absolutely no stress. They're just, they get paid, not much, but they, they get paid enough to sustain themselves for by just doing their hobby. Like they literally, they sit there all day, they have to help some customers, but they talk about their favorite game. They paint stuff uh, and they play games, literally. That's how they get their money. So if you, you know, let go of the whole climbing the ladder perspective and everything and realize that you, you also don't need you know, that much money, uh, then actually, I think for a lot of people, that, that is a, a pretty good scenario. Like if oh, that's a cool example. Because those guys mm -hmm. are winning at life. If you love Warhammer and that's your, that's your thing and you don't have an inherent need for status or salary or all these kind of, these kind of things, then yeah, like you smashed it. Yeah, exactly. So... That's definitely the different strokes for different people. If, uh, if you've seen the movie Office Space, it's a similar scenario where it's a great movie. If you, uh, it's a comedy. There's like probably 10 good comedies in the world, if you ask me. That's one of them. And if you, that's, it's literally a must watch. It's pretty old now. I think the 90s, maybe even late 80s. But if, you, if you've ever worked in an office, that movie is an absolute must watch. And basically, one of the things that happens, spoiler alert, is that he decides He's sick with the office life and all of the, the typical office life things happen to him and everything. All of the things that people can emphasize with, which sucks about working in an office. And he realizes that although he made much more money that way, at the end, again, spoiler alert, he starts working in construction with one of his, his mates where he always used to think uh, like, oh, that guy has, has no life at all. He works in construction. But then he, he was like, yeah, actually, I like physical exercise. I'm outside all day. It's generally sunny in this region. I don't really need more money. Uh, and that's how we find happiness. So there definitely are multiple ways. You have to be open to finding what works for you. But if you, I think for most people listening here, you have a passion and that's fitness. You want to make your uh, work out of that. But even then you could still do something. Like I know that there are a lot of people that, for example, are lawyers or something, and they also want to become a PT, but they're struggling with the balance between career and everything. And I can say that for the vast majority of people, choosing passion Uh, even if you don't make enough, like at least if you can cover basic needs and everything, choosing your passion make you happier in the end in life for sure. It's the irony of working in a like doing your hobby for a living is the sort of thing that people do when they retire. I've, yeah. I've lived 60 years to earn this arbitrary sum of money so that I can then do something that I enjoy every day, but not liking 60 years is worth that trade off. So, yeah, we both used to work in finance and then made this transition so i think it's a it is a weird thing when you go from a, a world where every all anybody talks about is like the annual increase in the, the increase in the annual gross salary like not even the hourly rate or anything really meaningful and mm -hmm. that it'll all be better in three years time when my when senior is it put in front of my title or whatever and then you leave that and you come into a world where none of that exists it's a very it is a very strange comparison but ultimately like whatever you're willing to whatever you don't really mind doing for a long period of time and enjoy i think is always the thing that you're gonna win at it's quite hard to beat someone who just enjoys doing the thing that they're that is also generating them an income and, and making an impact it's actually the thing. point about the, the annual gross salary as well that <clears throat> if you plot it out and you have you've got the line of annual gross salary which is climbing like this with number of years of seniority but then if you were to overlay stress and then overlay like hourly rate and, and all these other things. I don't think they would, I don't think hourly rate would go up in the same angle, for example, and stress would certainly climb. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a, and the only thing that you really have control over is how long you're in the job for and the, the kind of progression of gross salary. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a dodgy game to play. Economists often talk about uh, the hedonic treadmill when it comes to the difference between these, this money and happiness, or more generally the difference between life satisfaction, which is more of an objective measure, like how much money you make, uh, and actual subjective well-being, which is how you feel. And the analogy is that quite a lot of people are, are prone to getting stuck in like a hamster wheel, where they just keep running faster and faster, 
but they're in terms of happiness, they're not really going anywhere. So you can see that they objectively, they make more money, they have more status and everything, but they don't really feel better. And if you think about happiness, which I think every human being should, there are not that many things that really affect your happiness, like in a, in a profound way, like on day to day, like when you're doing something and you really feel better than when you're doing something else. Like often the differences are quite subtle. A lot of the times, I think most people, and we generally show us, people generally feel somewhat neutral or like pleasant, overall happy, but not like baller or uh, terrible. So I, I think if you spend it, if you really don't like your work and you also don't like your commute, then you are spending so much time of your life in a negative mood state. Like how much happiness do you think you're going to get from money or whatever it is you're, you're getting from your job to compensate for that. It's, <laughs> that's going to be very tough. I remember in studying economics, like one of, one of the diagrams that I always remember is I think it's called the, the backward bender or the backward bending supply curve where it plots hours versus wage. And there is this point where people start to prefer to lose money to acquire back more time. Obviously, yeah. everyone's willing to work longer hours, work longer hours if it means their wages going up. But there is a point at which, actually, take the salary. I couldn't care less. I would just like an hour back, please. And like when you really, I suppose that's the sort of thing where, as you say, on this hedonic treadmill of like, if I just keep doing more activity to earn more money, then somehow, somewhere in the equation, I'll be happier. When actually, like the, the data suggests, not the case. It li- li- links back to what you were saying about. There are only so many hours in the day, only so many hours in the week where you can produce something meaningful. And the rest of the time is probably better spent going to a waterfall or <laughs> watching certainly, Netflix or whatever. I've certainly felt at that point of the backward bend at two in the morning with, with my finger in someone's bum, just like this. I, I would pay someone to just take the rest of this night shift and let me go home. That was literal. <laughs> yeah, Yusuf, Yusuf's working as a doctor. I, know, I should probably right. clarify. Oh, yeah, that's true. I should <laughs> out of context. That's, that's a terrible statement. Yeah. Um, the, we, as Johnny said, we used to work in investment bank and, and finance. And this hedonic treadmill was another thing that we saw in terms of expenditure. And this is, I think, a really dangerous one because you'd see junior traders that are 24 years old driving cars that you're thinking there is no way on yes you've got a big salary but like that you you can't really afford that car and so gearing up the expenses of the lifestyle to the point where they can't really quit their job because they miss a monthly payment on their mortgage or on their car payment or something and the whole thing crashes down and it seems like you live quite light as well you're quite a i suppose you have to as a digital nomad my bank line. recently asked me what my non-liquid assets were. <laughs> and I was like, I have two suitcases. <laughs> really? So has that just been... Literally, like, that's it. Attrition? Has stuff like whittled away or do you just not acquire stuff? Yeah, if I do acquire it, I have to throw it out pretty much. <laughs> or something else has to go. It's tight competition in my suitcase for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not many people have a, a physical, if I can't put it in that suitcase, I can't buy it constraint. But yeah, it's a problem because I often get quite some gifts and people want to send me stuff to try and everything. And even if it's like a small booklet, it's, maybe I can read it in the airplane, but there is no way, like I can literally bring it in my hands and read it on the airplane, but there is no way I can actually bring it. <laughs> yeah. Linking back to what we were talking about before with uh, how important mornings are in your average day, I think a, a common thing that seems to go alongside with especially online entrepreneurs is this you've got to wake up and have a a two-hour morning routine where you meditate and journal and cold shower and read and all sorts of stuff do you do any of that like you seem like you have a very sort of calm rational state of mind is that because you spent all day doing Wim Hof breathing or is it just do you not do any of that and and have this state of mind regardless yeah no I think that's uh pseudo productivity all of that stuff maybe it works for some people but I think like the, the essence of productivity, this is like what the, the Soviets and Marxists and everything were watching their works is to really understand what productivity actually means. It's creating something. Like this is just what I talked about as an office worker, like the actual productive time. So you're writing a report or you create an email or something, but you, you are creating something. You're, you're putting something you know, extra on this planet. And the vast majority of jobs these days are not like 
truly hardcore labor productive. There are very few people still left in, in our societies that really do work. Like farming, that's real work. Construction work, that, that's really work. That's creating something. And most of what we're doing and everything is like about ideas and facilitating facilitating actual productive work. And then there's the it's really uh, only accessory work like tax administration. But what was your question? I was going to <laughs> just oh, yes, like yes, the pseudo productivity. Yeah. So like, if you're meditating or if you're uh, doing a contrast shower to be productive later or whatever, how productive is that? Like you're not creating anything, you're not doing anything. Uh, and especially in the morning, think if you wake up, you have to meditate to work. Like you meditate because it clears your, your mental cache. That's, that's basically an analogy of what meditation does. In the morning, you should not have a full mental cache. But there's absolutely no reason ever to meditate in the morning. If you have to meditate in the morning, you have a serious stress management problem. Like if you wake up and you feel like, I need to meditate, something's really messed up. <laughs> so meditation should be something that you do maybe during lunch and maybe later in the day. If you do it in the morning, that's like completely defeating the purpose, at least to me in terms of productivity of what that's supposed to achieve. And some people need something of a wind-up routine. I need I shower. But other than that, pretty much I think you should just get to work. And in fact, I think one of the most important things of being reproductive is that before you start any day, you should know what it is that you're going to start the next day. Because your morning hours, on average, this is typically this applies to people that have a good sleep schedule, because otherwise this will mess all of this up. But the morning hours are, cognitively speaking, should be your most productive hours. And morning maybe 3 p.m. If, if you wake up really late, but after waking up. And you should utilize that. So you don't want to spend any of that time either on figuring out what am I going to do? Because that's how you get, that's how you procrastinate and you're not doing something productive because at any point in time you can figure out, okay, this is important. I have to do this. For example, when you come home late at night after your physical PT clients, you can figure out like, I have to pay my taxes. <laughs> I have to fill in this report. And it's com maybe it's complicated. It's actually intellectually demanding because filing your taxes is actually intellectually demanding these days. Even the tax lawyers themselves often don't know. If you do that in the morning, you can at night think of, I have to do this next morning. And then in the morning, all you need to know is file a tax report. That's your, your life mission for maybe until noon or something. I think everyone's had that experience where you wake up, you open your laptop, you don't really have a clear goal for what you need to do. You just know you need to do some work. And then four hours later, you're like, I'm not really, I've just been like whack-a-mole, but not actually made headway with anything so that i think there's some really mm -hmm. good insights there with productivity but what about in terms of mindset and emotional management and stuff do you pay much attention to that or do you find that you're naturally quite equanimous i think i don't i don't but i think a lot of people will benefit from that to at least some extent i think meditation is legit like in terms of clearing your mental cash for example and maybe i would benefit from it but i'm some i'm the type of person that's like generally very intrinsically reluctant to to those kind of things. And I think, for example, there is no way in hell anyone could hypnotize me. But if you are different uh, in that regard, then maybe you will benefit uh, from meditation. And if you're generally, you're less emotionally stable, then you may also benefit from it. So I think there are some, some things that can uh, actually work. And I think it also is good in general to have break activities and some moments in life where you just introspect and just think about how things are going. And maybe you call it meditation or brainstorming or maybe it's just a free hour in the day. Or maybe it just happens at certain times organically. But there should be some of those moments. There is something about the way that your mind works, Menno. And I don't know whether this is partly constitutional factors of the way that you think, plus the, the kind of your statistical background and what you described there, that is, you know, it's, it's probably part of the reason why you've become popular in this space, because you've got quite an iconoclastic view towards looking at the data through bad science you look at things from first principles and you look at a existing assumption in the data and you say okay what's the like what do we really know about this not let's just take the kind of existing folklore do you have a method to that is there a way that you have learned to focus in and say how can i go from from zero upwards do you, do you get what i'm saying here there are certainly genetic factors to that like i'm, I'm low in agreeableness and high in openness in terms of big five personality traits for example but I think these things are, at least most things in life are generally 50%, cultural 50% genetic or like nature nurture. So I think you, you can have a big difference. And it also starts with doing it and surrounding yourself with those kind of people. 
Like if you're surrounded by a lot of people that if you eat pizza for breakfast, and you're like, oh my God, that's insane. You know, you live in a very close-minded mind space. You also will not get much you know, feedback uh, in those kind of things from those kind of people. So I think the people you surround yourself with and the kind of things you do really help. Because once you've started doing that and you, you realize that, okay, I can actually eat something hot for breakfast, which in the UK, you probably think of the other way around. But in the Netherlands, it's like that's for, for a lot of people in society, that's eating something hot for breakfast is just like, <laughs> so when you surpass that mental hurdle, the whole new world opens itself for you. And maybe at some point you can also realize that for lunch, you could do the same. And so you can go from there. But I, I make fun of it, but that is how it works. Once you've done some of those things that are really odd, unconventional, and they've worked out, and you realize nothing happened, I did something really weird and, uh, and nothing changed, then you can take it from there. That, that's actually the, the quite a profound today. lesson. So the eat something hot for breakfast, but basically take the opposite um, view in, or invert what the existing um, status quo is and just see if it works and then mm -hmm. calibrate from there. Yeah. I have two minutes until my next call, by the way. I think we'll, we'll, on that lesson, Manu, we'll, we'll wrap things up on eat right, something good. hot for breakfast. But yeah, it's been, <laughs> as always, fascinating. So thank you very much for, for coming back on. How can we find out more about you? Always want to chat with you guys. It's been great. How can we find out more about you, Menno? Everything should be on menowentimals.com. Probably best for people that are not familiar with me and want to get fitness stuff at least because that's mostly what I write about, not these kind of things. My book would be most about that. For either, actually, you should sign up to my newsletter and you'll get the fitness stuff, but otherwise you at least you get a notification for the book if you just care about that kind of stuff. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to the book too. Um, great. been a pleasure. Enjoy your next awesome. call. All right. See you guys. See you, Menno. Bye-bye. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build, and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.